Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Well, let me get right to it, everyday innovators, because I have a mildly embarrassing, funny story to share that actually I think highlights why it is so important to let people feel the pain to see the possibilities in your ideas. I'll explain more in a minute. We've also got an incredible lineup of everyday innovators for me to go through. I learned something so powerful from each of them, as I always do, and I can't wait to share it with you. Hey, speaking of sharing, do me a favor. Find your favorite episode. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it's one of the everyday innovators that just stuck with you because of an experience or something they shared. And share that episode with two friends who you think need to hear it as well. The more of us that unlock our everyday innovator style, the more of us that drive innovation, think differently, have those aha moments, they get to new ideas or give us the courage and the confidence to move forward, the better off we'll all be. We will move mountains together. Let me share with you my funny experience. All right. So I haven't polished this story. It just happened, but it's such a great example of, as I said, pain to possibilities, which I talk about sometimes in my, in my work. So I decided the other day that I was going to go get a coffee and bagel for breakfast and sit and work at this restaurant that I don't often go to, but it looks really fun and quirky and like good vibe. And I thought this is perfect. It's about 15 minutes away from my house. So not far by any means, but far enough that coming back to my house is a pain. So I get there, I get in line, I go up to the counter, I order my double shot, extra shot latte and a sesame bagel and cream cheese. And now she's telling me the price and handing me my little table flag I am digging through my backpack. I can't find my wallet. It's nowhere. I've clearly left it at home. I'm looking in every pocket, every, every segment of my backpack. I'm looking between stuff in folders. It's nowhere. And I finally look up to her panicked. I said, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I think I forgot my wallet at home. I, I don't, I don't know what to do. And then I realized as I was looking at my backpack, oh, wait, I've got some extra cash that I stashed at the bottom just in case I need something. It's only like 40 bucks, but I tend to keep cash just in places like in my car and, you know, in my backpack, just in case you never know when you're going to need it. Not a lot, but just enough for emergency situations just like this. So I pull out a 20 and I'm like, perfect. And she looks at me and she says, we don't accept cash, but we do accept Apple Pay. And I'm looking at her all confused, like, what do you mean you don't accept cash? So I look at my phone, I go, well, I don't, I don't know. I've never used Apple Pay. I'm not really sure what to do. Now, mind you, at this point, there's a line of like 10 people behind me waiting to get their coffee and bagels, starting to get annoyed because I'm taking too much time. And I'm talking to her, I'm like, well, should I set it up now? What do you want me to do? How do I do this? And she goes, well, I don't mind keeping your ticket open if you want to go set it up and then, you know, and I'll just wait for you to set it up. I was like, great, perfect. And she goes, I'm just going to have you step aside so I can help those other people while you're setting it up. And I was like, okay, great, no problem. So 
I'm super embarrassed. I'm frustrated that they don't take cash. I'm annoyed, but mostly I'm just feeling the pain of not being able to do what I wanted to do easily. I was just trying to get a coffee and a bagel and sit down. And I'm, you know, contemplating all the scenarios in my head. Should I go home? Should I, well, what do I do? So I open up Apple Pay and I know, right? Funny that I don't use it. For someone who's in innovation, you think I'd be all over the latest technology, but I'm not, and, and not in this case anyway. And so I'm trying to set up Apple Pay, but I can't. You need your credit cards to do it. So it, it didn't work. So finally, I got to schlep home and schlep back. And that's another 30 minutes. So I barely got any work done. But I come back and I'm like, okay, I have my credit card, but I'm setting up Apple Pay this time. Like now I get why you use it. I said, I've never used it before. I've never had a reason to. Now I get it. Really, let's face it. It was the embarrassment of all the people who were annoyed behind me that actually pushed me to get Apple Pay set up. Now, this story, as you can tell, is not about Apple Pay. Here's what it's really about. Two things. One, your greatest enemy to progress, to innovation, to success, isn't the competition. It isn't other ideas. Um, it isn't what else is possibly out there, choice. No, no. Your greatest competition is inertia. Inertia is habits that have never died. Inertia is the way you've always done things. Inertia are the things that you don't even question because there's nothing for the longest time pushing you to question them. I mean, I've always used cash. Why wouldn't I? Well, we're living in a different world than we used to, and not everybody takes cash anymore. And wow, did I feel the pain, which leads me to my second point, which is, had I not had that moment of embarrassment, frustration, confusion, I don't know that I would have jumped onto Apple Pay. And the lesson I had there, the great reminder is that people need to feel the pain to see the possibilities. This is true in a business-to-business setting, business-to-consumer in these type of moments. When people can feel the pain, they can actually see the possibilities. You know, last week I interviewed Casey Beck, um, an an everyday innovator in the automotive care world, and I had asked her about some of the innovation and how she got buy-in. And she specifically said, well, we were feeling the pinch. We were feeling the pain, like we had to make some change. People need to feel the pain to see the possibilities. So when you're trying to get buy-in for your ideas, when you're trying to make progress, you know, we jump, when we're excited about an idea, we jump to the possibility, to the solution so quickly because it's awesome, right? And of course, this is the way to go. And of course, this change is great. But the people on the other side of the table don't feel like that. They've got the heavy weight of inertia sitting on them and they have no pain. I had no pain until my moment where I didn't have my wallet. And had I had Apple Pay set up, I could have used my phone, which I did have, and get it done and get on my day. But no, instead, I was stuck in this embarrassing moment. So two big lessons came out of my moment the other day. One is inertia is your greatest competitor, your greatest enemy to success. And two, people need to feel the pain to see the possibilities. And, you know, even if you're presenting in a conference room on a PowerPoint slide Think about how can you present the problem that you're solving in a way that helps people really feel the pain so that your solution makes sense to them. All right, well, lesson learned. Apple Pay is set up. That's never going to happen again. All right, let's get on to the incredible everyday innovators we had this week. What a week. I'm going to start with Monday. We had Alan Stein Jr., who is in the performance coaching area. He's worked with a lot of NBA basketball players. And he takes those insights and brings it over to all of us in the business world. And he is an inquisitive collaborative. We had Renelle Smith, who's in the credit union space and a meeting planner. She's an instinctual imaginative. We had 
John Austinson, who is an imaginative instinctual. Interesting. Lots of imaginatives this week. Huh. It's funny how they, I feel like they sometimes come in clusters. So John is in the franchise business space. And then last but not least, we had Jessica Hinman, who's in the automotive space, who is an experiential imaginative. How fascinating that everybody had one imaginative as an overlap. I'm going to tell you about their everyday innovator styles. Here's what I'm going to do. Because there's this interesting overlap, I'm actually going to share up front all of their everyday innovator styles because I want you to hear how the magic in their combination comes together and makes them very powerful, but also very unique in how they innovate. Okay, so the first one is Alan Stein. So Alan is an inquisitive collaborative. That means he brings deep, whole innovation to the table. I'll dig into them further when I talk about them specifically. Then it's Ronelle Smith, who's instinctual imaginative, and she brings connective novel innovation to the table. Then John, who is an imaginative, also imaginative instinctual, so he brings novel connective innovation to the table. And then Jessica, who is an experiential imaginative, who brings tangible novel innovation to the table. Do you see how even with a little bit of overlap, they're different? And then you look at Alan, who's an inquisitive collaborative, and he's totally different than those two. As a reminder, there are nine styles or ways that we innovate as humans, our natural wellspring of innovation, how our brains are wired to innovate. And it's the combination of your top two power triggers, your incredible wellspring, your strength of innovation, and the presence of your dormant trigger, which is the one where I wouldn't say it's your weakness, but I'd say it exhausts you the most and, and often sabotage, sabotages us. We have to figure out how to overcome it. So these two on all of these are what combine to create their power triggers. Let's dig into each of them and that one aha insight I got from you, each of them and what I chose to do about it. As I've mentioned before, my life is an experiment. So if I can learn some lessons and bring those lessons to you so that you can innovate and go further faster... That's what I'm here for. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market. But the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, 
I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So we're going to start with Monday with Alan's and go upwards. So as I said, Alan's in the performance coach area and he said some really interesting things. He said a lot of interesting things, but one of the things that really stuck with me that I actually work really hard on and he articulated so well was that we have to get rid of this narrative of right versus wrong. And what he meant by that is even viewing the world, people's ideas, people's differences and perspectives and experiences through the lens of this one is right, this one is wrong. He said it does a couple things for you. One is it opens up your empathy or your sympathy for other people. So it helps you connect with other people when you're not judging them as right versus wrong when they share with you, but also opens you up to new ideas. It allows you also to be curious about new ideas or different points of view that helps inform, feed, and evolve your thinking. So I, he has had a lot more to say about it. I would go listen to his to the episode. But the idea of right versus wrong really intrigued me. And so all week after his interview, I really paid attention to how often I hear something from someone and label it as right versus wrong up front. And when I do that, when I catch myself doing that, I decided to take a step back and get curious, as he talked about, and actually ask people to help me understand X, Y, Z. And I will tell you, I found more connection, more collaboration, more insight, more joy, just by not labeling things as right or wrong on the surface. And when I had that judgment to just put a pause on it and go back and say, just help me understand why you think this, how you got to that opinion, what that decision was all about. And what I found is when I got the context, the four layers deeper, there was just so much richness in there that I might have been missing a couple times before when I would just judge out of the gate. And I know we're humans, right? We can't be perfect. This is something I'm definitely working on. And I would encourage you to work on it too. The next time someone comes to you with an idea, a perspective, whoa, a political opinion that is different than yours, instead of labeling it right versus wrong, just put that on pause for a minute and ask them to help you understand and ask three more follow-up questions and see where the conversation takes you. I think you'll find not just a lot more depth, but a lot more connection in the conversation. So thanks for that, Alan. All right, next up is Rennell Smith, who's in the credit union space. Now, Rennell is a meeting planner for a credit union association, and she will tell you, as she does in the podcast, that her job is about solving problems on the spot. As you can imagine, when you uh, manage events, you're managing a million different pieces of which anyone could go wrong at any given time. And as she said, usually does. Something goes wrong. Nothing's ever totally smooth. And what I loved about what Rennell said wasn't just about how she innovates, how she thinks differently, how she solves problems. She kind of backed it up a step and said, for her, what it's really about is that positive mindset, because she knows 
if she has a positive mindset, she'll find the solutions. If she has a negative mindset or a mindset that's all about what's not possible or what can't happen or how horrible things are, she doesn't find those solutions. So the next time you're stuck or can't figure it out or just keep running into that brick wall, I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I stuck or am I just being negative? I caught myself after this conversation. This was one of those, again, like, keep track, Tamara, see where you are here. I caught myself in the few times that I got stuck. What really got me stuck wasn't the possibilities, wasn't the options. It was my attitude. And I'm not saying that things always have to be perfect or good or that you have to sugarcoat a situation and say, well, this is all great now, right? And that's positivity. But I think what Rennell was saying that really spoke to me, and I know spoke to some of you out there because I got emails about it, was it was more of like optimism that you can find the solution that's going to work. I also think that's really gratifying. And as I said, after that interview with Rennell, I really sat back and said, all right, how often, how often when I'm stuck, am I stuck because I'm negative or because there aren't possibilities around that brick wall? And the few times where I got stuck, I really found that it was actually my attitude that was the problem. So thank you, Rennell, for that. That's our instinctual imaginative. All right, next up is John Austinson, who is an imaginative instinctual as well. Now, John is in the franchise business space. And one of the things that he shared was when he got into business, he had uh, he struggled at the very beginning by, to saying yes to everything. What he was saying was that he said yes to everything and then right found himself overextended, overworked. How many of us have been in that situation where we have said yes to everything and even things we shouldn't because we don't know what's going to pan out. We don't want to look like we're not a team player. We want to perform. We want to do our best. We want to make an impact. He said, but we found when he did that, he was really stretched thin and that now he's in a pattern in his life where he actually says no so that he can say yes to the right things. So I created a chart for myself. I love my little charts in my checklist, don't I? (laughs) So I created a chart for myself that had on one side things I'm saying yes to, on one side things I'm saying no to. And the challenge I had for myself was to say no more than I said yes. Not because I wanted to say no to the right things, but because I I struggled with that. I'm a I, I I'm a tough cookie, but I'm also a little bit of a people pleaser. And you know, I, I want to say yes. If I think I can help somebody, I want to say yes. I always want to say yes if I think I can if I can do the work and I think we're a good fit. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to say yes to. So my challenge over the next week after interviewing him was to see if I could say no more than I could say yes. And if it went into my yes column, it had to be a whole ass yes, right? It had to be like, my God, yes. And wow, did it teach me a lot about all the times I say yes to things that I shouldn't. And by the way, this isn't just work. I did it for work, personal, relationship, professional, all of it. And I realized that I struggle to say no. I struggle. And what's interesting about it, here's the other aha I had, is it's contextual. There are some people that for whatever reason, I really, I'm okay with saying no to. I protect my time, my boundaries, my schedule. And then there are others where that I really struggle with. And the same goes with work. There are certain projects I easily can say no to and others I can't. And it's not about liking the person or liking the project. I don't know. It's just maybe that I set boundaries with that person at one point and those boundaries stayed intact. It's, it's I don't know. I haven't quite figured out why with people 
Some, I, I mean, it's really easy for me to say no and some it's not. But I loved this exercise of trying to fill up the no column more than the yes column. And I would encourage you to try it. And like I said, the key here is if it's in the yes column, it needs to be a whole ass yes. It needs to be like, my God, I cannot wait to do this. This is absolutely yes. I'm 100% in. And by the way, that could be, hey, you want to pop over to Starbucks or will you work on this big initiative or can we go on a date night? Like whatever it is, it needs to be the yes of a lifetime. I really learned a lot about myself. Like I said, I learned that I, turns out I struggle saying no more than I thought I did. And I struggle with some people or some situations more than others. It was so insightful. And by the way, here's the beauty of saying no. It allows you to go deeper when you say yes. And in that depth, you'll find incredible space for innovation. All right, finally up is Jessica Hinman, who is an experiential imaginative, which is, as just as a reminder, tangible novel innovation. Here's the thing that I thought was interesting. Jessica shared this incredible story from work where she was working in Asia and they were struggling to find qualified candidates for a job and really relevant right now for other reasons. And she said, what was interesting is they could have looked at the symptom, meaning, okay, we need to put our resume in more places, right? The, the symptom is we don't have enough people. We're not, we're, we can't hire enough good people for what we need. And we could maybe recruit from this place or recruit from that place, or maybe we change the language of our job description, or maybe we offer more benefits, whatever it is. But what she said was, what we realized is we looked deeper and deeper and deeper until we realized the root of the problem, not the symptom, on the surface, the root. And the root in this case were that those skills that they needed weren't being taught in the schools. So they created these incredible programs, these STEM programs to teach the things they needed to teach that were valuable for everybody in the schools. So it was a win for the greater good, a win for recruitment down the road. It was a long-term, like longevity win here. And I love this story. And she digs a little bit deeper in. And I would, like I said, I would go to the podcast episode and listen. But what I loved about it is I think all too often we try to solve that symptom on the surface. And then we stagnate or we don't find solutions that are meaningful and long-term. It's very, I think it's very easy to solve the wrong problem and then reap the, what am I trying to say? And, and then suffer the consequences, that's how I should say it, on the back end, because it wasn't actually the right thing to solve to begin with. And I love what Jessica said about solving the root problem and actually going deeper. And I would encourage all of us to really think about that. We have this exercise that we often do, which is called the five whys. And I would encourage you to do it. And here's how it works. Put whatever problem you're trying to solve at the top of a piece of paper. And then I want you to ask, well, why do we have this problem? And then I want you to answer that. And then I want, and then I want you to ask again, well, what's the problem that caused this problem? And then I want you to answer that. Well, do it again, right? Repeat, rinse and repeat. Why do we have this problem? What's the problem that caused the problem? When you do this, you'll get to the place of actually realizing what's really happening. And you'll be able to solve and drive innovation in a much more meaningful way. It's the five whys. I think you can look it up on our website. There's probably a PDF somewhere. And if I don't have it on there and you want it, email us, we'll get it to you. It's one of my favorite exercises to do with people. And I think it's really eye-opening. The last time we did it, 
it's really eye-opening for people to realize, oh my gosh, like this little thing on the surface that I think I'm solving for isn't actually the problem. It's actually down here. This is what I need to be solving for. Imagine for a moment, you know those problems you have that are super sticky and keep rearing their ugly heads? I bet you it's because every time there's you try to solve for it, you're solving on the surface. I want you to take those in particular and dig deep. Five whys. Why do we have this problem? What's the problem that caused the problem? What caused that problem? And keep going until you get to the root. All right, we had an incredible group this week. Like I said, we had Jessica, who's an experiential imaginative. We had John, who's a... Um, imaginative instinctual we have Rennell who's an instinctual imaginative and we have Alan who's an inquisitive collaborative an incredible group of people I mean what diverse industries too right automotive to franchise to credit union to performance coaching I love it love it and hey don't forget what I said in the beginning find the episode that speaks to you and share it with a friend all right with that Tamara out Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.